I'm back. I kind of wish, actually, that we could have sidestepped our sermon series just so that I could preach like a theme of like wandering through the desert or something. Um, our theme for this week is monumental, and so like the Grand Canyon being, you know, that kind of vibe. Um, what I am hoping, and maybe you can all uh, help convince her with me, but like maybe if we leave this decoration up long enough, then maybe Pastor Lisa will have a message, maybe a sermon, maybe on the theme of monumental. It'd be great if we saw her up here. That's just my opinion. See, this is proof, Lisa. Anyway, you're stuck with me instead. <laughs> and we're actually going to stick to our sermon series on prayer. Um, and just looking at all of the different ways that we see God inviting us into conversation. And today, we get to dive into the idea of praying for our enemies. Light and fluffy stuff, I know. That's why Brian went on vacation this week and left it to me. It's fine. Um, it's really ironic that as the staff were kind of sorting out the preaching schedule, I landed this topic, and then I went off to serve. So the entire trip, I was percolating on this idea of praying for our enemies. At one point uh, in the week, I gave a pretty good look of like exasperation to one of our teenagers. Of course, it was a one-time experience. It didn't happen ever again, because um, they were only doing something mildly ridiculous. Um, and one of, one of these delightful humans, who will remain nameless, looks at me and says, it's okay, Hannah, this is just a good sermon illustration for you. <laughs> I was like, cool. I prayed for my enemies a lot in Nelson. Just kidding. Actually, um, like Aiden said, rain was actually our biggest enemy in Nelson. But we had a great time, and I am really proud of how our kids served and interacted with each other and with God and the community. And I actually still like them all, so it's great. Um, praying for our enemies. I'm cringing inside as well. Uh, it makes me really uncomfortable to think about praying for our enemies, let alone actually pray for my enemies. And we hear throughout the Bible to love your enemy. It's a pretty common phrase. We hear to bless them, to pray for those who persecute you. We read prayers throughout the Bible asking God to deliver them from the hands of the enemy. We read the prayers of asking for protection against their enemy or asking God why their enemy is still persisting. And there are these beautiful prayers and stories about how God did protect them and how he saved many people from their enemy. The Old Testament uses a lot of enemy language when it comes to kings and nations fighting each other. The Old Testament runs with the understanding that God loves only the Israelites, and so by default, everyone else is the enemy. With Jesus' arrival in the New Testament, that all flips. And that's where we learn that God actually loves everyone. And it's in the Gospels that we see Jesus loving the enemy, befriending people who are mean and who are hated by society. And Jesus is quick to teach people to love their enemies. And he models forgiveness and reconciliation rather than destruction. And it's a pretty big perspective shift. But there's this short but very powerful moment where Jesus talks to God and prays for his enemies. So if you want to, we're going to flip open our Bibles 
to Luke chapter 23, near the end at verse 34. And the verses are going to be on the screen behind me too. But at this point in the story, Jesus has been sentenced to die. The crowd demands that he be crucified. He's been mocked, beat, insulted, and he's carried his cross to the place of his death and now he hangs on a cross next to two criminals. It's this amazing, sad, weird, beautiful, and hard moment for us as Christians. But Jesus' death on the cross changed everything for us. He's innocent, and he spent the night before petitioning God, begging God not to make him do this, if there was any other way. But Jesus goes forward and accepts his death. And yet, before his death, there's still time for Jesus to show radical love. So we're going to read just these two verses together. On the screen. Great. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there along with the other criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing and they divided up his clothes by casting lots. Jesus prays this really simple prayer at a moment that doesn't make any sense. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. It's a powerful prayer, and it's attributed to Stephen as well. Um, Stephen is being stoned in Acts chapter 7, and he, it's written that he offers up the same prayer. And so how is it in the moment of pain, grief, betrayal, and ultimately death, Jesus can still pray for his enemy, for the people who are causing him this harm? It's baffling to me. And since we're supposed to model Jesus, this example makes me a little bit uncomfortable. And it makes me uncomfortable for a few reasons. First is that there are enemies out there. It makes me take off the rose-colored glasses and remind myself of the evil at work in the world. And it's all too easy to look at the news headlines and remind myself that that's true. There is an enemy. Second, it reminds me that each of us have our own personal enemy. It's heartbreaking that we all have been deeply hurt by other people in our lives. The stories will vary, of course, but we all have an enemy. And that alone makes me want to scream, it's not fair, God. But it also makes me uncomfortable because it's asking something difficult of me. Praying for my enemy isn't something I look forward to doing, and praying for my enemies isn't a natural reaction. But that's just me. I'm sure all of you are saints and would never think about smacking your enemy upside the head. Just me, thought so. Take the situation in the Ukraine, for example. It's been 151 days of war. We've been praying for protection, safety, peace, for family, for resources. We've been praying for all of those who've been evacuated, and we are praying for all of these refugees. We're praying that the Ukrainian soldiers would have victory, and we've been praying for the people that we know there, and our hearts are filled with grief knowing what's going on. But how many times in our prayers for the Ukraine have we stopped to pray for Putin? I know there are other people involved and other things at work in this, but I 
think we can label him an enemy in this situation. And we need to pray for all of those things I just listed. But we also have to pray for the enemy too. Because if God changed Putin's heart, could you imagine what would happen? Like, I actually can't. I, don't, I can't think of all of the ways that that would change things. But if Putin radically met Jesus, more than just the war on Ukraine would change. And I think it kind of begs the question, who is our enemy? And I think together we could point out a few global ones throughout history that have been famous. Hitler, Osama bin Laden, Darth Vader, it's fine. I was thinking on the definition of enemy and came to summarize uh, with the help of Google that an enemy is a person who is actively opposed or hostile to someone or something. An enemy is determined to see someone or something fail or harmed. It's intentional and it's malicious. And I think enemies can be systems or ideas, like racism, for example. And I think that's where Ephesians 6, verse 12, comes into play. It says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, and against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Enemies are absolutely evil powers and principalities at work. We have enemies because the enemy is looking to steal, kill, and destroy all that is good. And I often forget that. There's a very real enemy at work, and while we can't use the enemy as a scapegoat for everything, the enemy is so conniving that he almost makes us forget his existence. And I wonder if culture today uses the word enemy too casually, or even too flippantly. I mean, yes, I would say that, because I also just accused rain as being an enemy, which we haven't had a near of much of a wildfire season because of that rain. So, you know, luggage wet, no wildfires, I have no idea who wins, but an enemy is much more than someone who we don't get along with or disagree with. An enemy's intent is much darker and intentional than an annoying coworker or an obnoxious neighbor. The annoying, sassy little brother, also not really an enemy. I think we label people as enemies as an escape, when really they are just situations to practice patience or grace. Is that person really an enemy, or is it an opportunity for me to slow down and respond with grace and kindness? And I think when we take the time to pray for an enemy, we are starting to get at the core issues. When we talk with God about our enemy, it starts to unveil all of the other pieces of our heart, and it gives God the space and time to bring up our attitude and for God to speak into the conversation. In fact, I think God asks us to pray for our enemies because it helps us refocus. In these moments of prayer for our enemy, it kind of allows us to see their humanity and need for grace. We can see them as maybe a neighbor who just needs some patience. And as much as, of, as it's a prayer for them, it's also really for ourselves. We end up praying that we might resemble God's grace to them and that we might be lights that point them to Jesus. Because I think praying for our enemies is actually for us. It makes us recognize our need for grace. Our, we need grace every day. We need lots of it. 
We are not above grace, and we are just as broken as our enemies. And so it actually keeps us quite humble. Praying for our enemies kind of levels us all in the same playing field. And we need to recognize that just as our enemy needs Jesus, so do we. So praying for our enemies might start as something that we do for them, but in the end, it's actually more for us and our hearts are changed. In these conversations with God, we have the opportunity to align our heart with God's plan for reconciliation and lay aside our grand plans for revenge. I think this step in prayer actually serves as an act of love, uh, love and care, which is why the Bible says, love your enemies consistently throughout. By praying for them, we are asking for God's grace and for God's goodness on them, which is a way that we care for people. Romans 12, 14, which is Paul quoting Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount, says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. We can bless them in prayer. This sets, up, this sets us up to be examples in their life that point them towards Jesus. Our enemies need to see radical love, radical grace, and radical forgiveness in action. And who has a better opportunity to be the one to show them that than the one being attacked? And if you think about the opposite for the moment, what would it mean if your enemy met God, changed their actions, and started praying and loving for you? Sure, it would be shocking, but then it would surely change your life in one way or the other. Our enemies are an opportunity for God to do something beautiful. We have a unique perspective to represent God's grace and forgiveness. Fun, I know. I do have a caveat, actually, that I need to address for a moment. I'm very aware that when we talk about enemies, that for some of you, this brings up some very, very real trauma. And I think one of the most harmful phrases that the church has been responsible for and has said is to forgive is to forget. And I, I can't begin to describe the level of hurt that that has caused for Christians, unnecessarily. Praying for your enemies does not mean tolerating from abuse. We absolutely need to get out of abusive situations, pray that they stop, and then later we could pray for them to know Jesus. Yes, I want us to move towards forgiveness and reconciliation, and I am not suggesting that we harbor resentment and bitterness towards our enemies, but I am saying that forgiveness often takes time and space. And often when we're dealing with the actions of our enemies, we need help, often from professionals. I'm a big advocate for counseling, um, as some of these enemies in our lives have caused significant concerns that need to be dealt with and processed with professional people. For many of us, we cannot forget the effects of our enemies, meaning we can have reconciliation, but we might not ever be able to forget. Loving our enemies doesn't justify abuse, and praying for them does not disqualify them for the punishment and consequences for their actions. Even by loving and praying for our enemies, we don't have to be their BFFs and go on vacation with them. We can pray for them, from a distance, and we can love them while being safe from toxic situations. And I was thinking about maybe the difference between praying for forgiveness and praying for our enemies, and they're obviously very intertwined, 
But I think sometimes we hear more about praying for forgiveness than we do praying for our enemy. And I was kind of wondering why. Maybe I'm just not listening. I don't know. <laughs> why don't we pray more for our enemies? And why, what keeps me hesitant from bringing them up to God? And I think, honestly, sometimes I just doubt God. Maybe I don't pray for Putin as much because I think he's too far gone. We wonder if God can even do it. How? We limit the power of God's grace, and we are shocked at the idea that God could even reach some of these enemies. And I think we can convince ourselves that God doesn't even want to save them. But that's not true. We have to remember that God is in relentless pursuit of all of his children. Or maybe it's just us wanting to be the judge. Are we assuming control or responsibility that is not ours to take? We are not God, and God alone is the one who can set the standards and give grace. We don't want God's goodness to be extended to people who are bad and mean, and somehow we believe they are unworthy, when in fact, we all are unworthy. Remember that weird prophet Jonah? It's a short book in the Bible. It's only four chapters, so I would encourage you to read it this week, uh, as we don't have time to go through it all. But this guy Jonah, he's a prophet. God sends him to a city, and Jonah goes the opposite way. And that doesn't go over very well, and so Jonah ends up in the stomach of a fish, which is my literal worst nightmare. Cool. But God is a good God, and he gives grace. And so he gives Jonah another chance. And so Jonah, had, Jonah heads off to this evil, corrupt city of Nineveh with a message from the Lord. And Jonah shares this message, and guess what? They listened, <laughs> and they repented. And this really large, influential city that is known for being horrible and uh, very evil um, turns towards God. And then Jonah gets mad about it. The whole message that Jonah went to Nineveh to preach, he didn't listen to for him own self. Jonah was mad at God for showing the city compassion. And then the book just ends. It's kind of weird and I kind of love it, but it ends with no resolution. And it just ends with this question from God to Jonah, which I think can be for us. And God asks, shouldn't I be concerned for these people? And that's it. Jonah is a lesson of what not to do. Jonah had an opportunity to love and to pray for his enemies, but it also didn't really work for him. Jonah remains convinced that he is in the right and somehow believing that Nineveh isn't worthy to be saved even after Jonah himself was disobedient a few times and God spared him. Jonah, my dude, you missed the point. <laughs> and we get to learn from his lesson. Who are we to put limits on God's love and grace? Also, I think that Jonah's message is a warning against insincerity when we pray. We don't get to pray for our enemies because we're supposed to. There is no formula for it. But we don't get to pray, God, I hope you do nice things for this person that I don't like. Talking to God or about our enemies means that we don't just get to complain about them or say that, 
say what we think that God wants to hear. God also doesn't ask us to pray for our enemies as a way of manipulating us to be people who are so happy and so blessed to pray for people who are mean to us. It is, however, an opportunity for God to change our heart just as, as much as we want God to change the hearts of our enemy. There's an author whom I love who often had cyber enemies. Twitter feuds are a real thing, if you don't know. Online, these people would viciously call her names and they would seek to slander her reputation online and really just make the internet a horrible place for her. And when her friends asked her how she remained so calm and loving towards these cyber bullies, she said, when I read their messages, I look at their profile picture and I imagine them sitting on the floor playing with their kids. She refused to dehumanize her enemies settling her own heated emotions to show grace and compassion to people who publicly hated her. And I think this is why God invites us to pray for our enemies. It's an opportunity to refocus and to look for the good or maybe the hopeful in an enemy, or at least hopefully the humanity in them. I, I certainly haven't mastered this, um, but there is space for me now to pray for my enemies with a sensitivity that I did not have before. I still don't like these people very much, but there is a quiet understanding that has come with time, healing, and God's help, that I can pray for them now in a way that's removed, but it's still genuine that I want God to meet them in their brokenness. I actually think that by asking us to pray for our enemies, it's a way to talk to God when we're angry. Like I said earlier, we often pray for the hurt and the sadness and usually the effects of our enemies, which is all good and we need to do that. But when we pray for our enemies, another often common emotion is anger. In praying for our assumed enemy, we actually can calm down. God is clever like that. And I think by praying for them, it's a tactic to like de-escalate the situation. And there are some very real enemies that make us angry, as they should. There is a righteous anger. Anger is a legit emotion that has a real place in our life, and it can be good. I told my counselor that I really like anger because it's an action emotion. She laughs at me, and then we proceed to talk about it a lot. Our job is to steward our anger well. And by God asking us to pray for our enemies, it helps us not get over or forget our anger, but to channel it in a way that seeks restorative justice. God can handle the anger that we bring. He could handle Jonah's. He called Jonah out on it, and, but he's not scared of it or intimidated by it. And God knows that anger is a very normal and a very real part of our responses. God created anger. But as we think about this sermon series this summer of let's talk, I think this is one of the times where sometimes we don't want to. Our rage somehow halts us from turning to God, and we kind of want to deal with it on our terms. But that's why we have to turn to God. The anger, the bitterness, and the resentment take so much space in our hearts that by holding on to anger, we don't leave room for joy or for grace. And last week, um, Brian talked about the Lord's Prayer, and he said that we weren't going to go through them line by line, but one of them is very relevant for us today. 
Which is why I think that Jesus includes the line, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Because sometimes we have to choose to forgive daily. For some people and in some situations, forgiveness is a one-time event. But we're human and we continue to experience things and the effects of our enemies that mean that we have to continue to turn back to Jesus with our enemies. And I think that's also a part of picking up our cross daily. It's an ongoing conversation with God. I hope that you don't have an active enemy every day, but especially when you are going through the thick of it. By talking to God about it, we're bringing God into the conversation so that the Spirit can meet us there. And the thing about enemies is is they leave us hurt, hopeless, ashamed, abandoned, among other things. And they make us feel like there's no escape from our hurts and pain. And that's exactly where I see the invitation from God. God extends his arms of rest, love, and grace and says, let's talk about it. By bringing our enemies and our hurt to God, we have the opportunity to receive true reconciliation. The enemy is an opportunity for the spirit of God to move in the lives of our enemies, but also ours. And this is what I love about Jesus. He asks us to live a life that is so beautifully subversive. He is hanging on a cross, dying, and yet is actively loving the people who put him there in his action of dying, but in his words and his prayers for his enemies. This is countercultural. The reaction is not at all what we expected. And that's the whole point. Don't get me wrong, I completely understand the gravity of what we're being called into. It's hard and complicated and messy. But by praying for our enemies, we make ourselves available to act in a way that would boggle the world. We get the opportunity to extend grace, love, and forgiveness. It's not easy, but it's beautiful and so much bigger than what we can imagine. I'm gonna wrap up here, and I'm gonna leave you with this quote before we pray. Love is the great disruption to the powers and principalities still at work in this tired, beautiful world. Love, that's the response. While the worship team comes up, I'm gonna gonna pray for us. Lord, I, (laughs) I thank you for the opportunity to love enemies. That's not an easy thing to say, and that comes with a responsibility, I know. But you did it, and so I want to strive towards that. Lord, as we collectively have enemies, Lord, I just pray that you would give us grace, that you would give us patience, and that you would give us sensitivity, that you would remind us of your spirit, that in these moments of heatedness, that you would come alongside us and just remind us of of who you are and your goodness, that your grace covers us and it covers our enemies. I also pray for protection from our enemies, Lord, especially coming into a busy week of ministry here at the church, Lord. We just know that the enemy is active and we say, we don't want any of that. 
We're here for you, and we just want to be filled up with your love and your goodness and your grace. Would you teach us how to forgive? Would you show us patience as we learn that? Would you remind us that we are not perfect? And would you keep us humble? I thank you that you give all of this, these good gifts so lavishly to us, Lord, that there is nothing that you can't do, no one that you can't save, and no one that you can't change, Lord, and that you are in relentless pursuit of each one of us. I pray for our enemies. God, would you meet them in divine ways? Would you heal their hearts? God, we desire to see your kingdom here on earth. And so, Lord, would you help us be active chains of that, but also of our enemies? Would they meet you? Would, be, would we be models of you so that we can see that a changed kingdom? Lord, I just pray that we would have the familiarity to come to you with our anger and our frustrations and our hurt. That as we talk with you, there is nothing that you don't know and nothing you can't heal. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would remind us that you are there in the highlands and the valleys, that you are with us in each season, in our joy and in our grief and in our anger and in our hurt. You are with us, and we thank you so much for that presence and your promise of grace. We love you. In your son's name, amen.